Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending where you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of We Got This Podcast. 40 years ago, when someone went to university, it was a big thing. Their diploma was a differentiator. It had a lot of value. Fast forward to today, when quite a lot of people, majority of people go to university, it's a different story. I by no means want to take away the effort or the work that people put into getting a university diploma. I'm merely wondering how valuable it is. How much weight does it carry these days? Because nowadays, I think it's more about what you learn during a course than the piece of paper you get at the end of it. And a title before a person's name or certification abbreviations after it don't really impress me. And this extends to various certifications and accreditations companies seem to be uh, going for to show how green, how inclusive, um, insert the latest trendy initiative they might be. There is, however, one certification that I am really curious about, and that is B Corp. B Corps are companies that meet the higher standards of social and environmental performance, accountability, and transparency. It all started in 2006 with the idea that a different kind of economy was not only possible, but it was actually indeed necessary and that businesses could lead the way towards a new stakeholder-driven model. On the surface, looks great. Aligns with, our, with my values. I'm hooked. I'm interested. But what is it really like under the surface? What is it like inside one such company? We Got This showcases individuals and organizations that create people-focused workplace cultures to help it become the norm rather than the exception. It's something that will require a mindset shift and probably not something that any of us can do alone. But together, together, we got this. As always, I have someone to help me find the answers to these questions. And that someone is Claudio Vandi, the co-founder and chief product officer at Numa. And Numa is a learning provider focused on adopting the work practices of tomorrow by offering virtual classes in small groups on ultra-pragmatic content. More importantly, Numa is a recently certified B Corp, so a perfect case for us to get into. Claudio, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Pilot. How are you? Oh, good. Oh, good. Thank you very much for joining us today. No one escapes the, the, the icebreaker question, and that is, when you were little, who did you want to be when you grew up? When you asked me the, the question, the first thing that came to mind was a, a journalist. But I went a step back and I think it was a private investigator, actually. So I might uh, have ended up doing investigative journalism, which was not the case. But yeah, I, th I think I was passionate about, you know, reading investigative novels and these kind of things. That was the first thing I can, I can remember. Maybe there was something before that, but I have no recollection of, of it. Now that you think about it, does the investigative journalism or the interest in, in, in those two aspects, do you see elements of that in your work today, in what you do? In a way, yes. Uh, you know, it's more investigating about topics that I most of the time not I'm not expert in before going into them, than investigating about people or you know, or crimes or or whatever. Or yeah, you can call them managerial crimes for <laughs> for some business crimes. But there is a lot of yeah investigation in what I do, investigating the content that we put in our Numa workshops, trying to understand what's really interesting, and then there is a part of sort of. Uh, you know, because you practice it, of sort of business fiction, uh, because the core of our trainings are real life situations that uh, we put the participant in, sort of reality checks, as we call them. 
and that's a lot about you know yeah writing a story that makes sense in the in the real world and so there are some bits of real life into into that yeah that does definitely does make sense those reality checks and for me they do connect with being an investigator understanding yeah there is, there is some common points yeah. definitely definitely as you said uh, managerial crimes i like i like that um, <laughs> yeah. um, i have to write that down uh, maybe something to trademark in the near future uh, who knows who knows might be might be useful as I, I kind of started off talking about you know, certifications and, and personal applications of certification when I come to university, and I don't know whether it makes me sound a little bit hypocrite or not, but I, I actually went to university. I've done two university degrees, both undergraduate. And the reason I've done them was simply because I didn't know what the hell I want to do with my life. First one was I did English studies. And then after that, I moved to the UK and do to do something in more kind of related to marketing and event management. And there's truth to be said in, in what I mentioned in the introduction in terms of, you know, I wasn't that interested in the, in, in the university diploma as such. Now that I look back, it's what I've learned during both those courses. Uh, I'm not a teacher, which the first, was the first <laughs> degree that would, what, what was preparing me for. And I'm no longer a project manager or a marketer as I used to be, in the, which the second degree prepared me for. However, I combine everything out of that and more in the work that I do now. Because in a way, yes, I am a facilitator. That, that's where the... The teaching degree came in handy. Uh, the project management, obviously, that came, comes in handy every single day. So I stand by that element of to, these days, it's more important about what we learn during the course rather than the piece of paper at the end of it. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are going to disagree and going to challenge that. Happy days, uh, we can have that conversation. But that brings me on to companies. There's a lot of movement, uh, kind of, especially, for example, if you look through from the perspective of employer branding, that organizations are chasing you know, certain certificates to position themselves in the employee, employees' minds in a certain way. Of course, also for PR reasons, marketing reasons, position themselves in an organization's mind. That being said, B Corp, interesting dynamic, in interesting concept. Uh, I've heard about it. I've been seeing this over the past few years here and there, more and more companies going for it. So I'm curious. I, I gave a bit of an introduction, but from where you sit, where how, how you see it, uh, if you could give us a, a little explanation what a, a B Corp certification is uh, before yeah. we can launch into why 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 would Numa you decided to go down that journey? Yeah, so there are when it comes to training. So we are a, a company based in France, operating uh, internationally. But if, when it comes to trainings and certifications in France, you have the universities, and then you have also another specific thing that is a certification that allows B two B companies that work with you to use some of their training budget to companies that have this kind of certification. So this is more a certification that, that allows you to operate in a certain space uh, because you are, you, know, you are certified in terms of your processes, of your quality, uh, the way you monitor quality, the way you develop your content. So that's a very, you know, it's the kind of certification you need to have uh, in order to operate. Mm -hmm. We only do B2B training, so that's, that's crucial for us. Well. B Corp is very different because it's more, it's more about your reputation and your recognition given by an external auditor. So we don't need uh, this to, to operate. But the reason we, uh, we started the process, because we started more than two years ago and we just got it. Uh, so it's a long process. If <laughs> some people are interested in you know, being certified, it's a long process for two reasons. One is that there are a lot of applications and it's a relatively small team. It's a nonprofit organization. So there is a queue um, before getting to you know, be audited. Uh, and then it's a very detailed uh, process with a lot of exchanges. But the reason we started the, that process was mainly two reasons. The first one was that we found art in a very 
crowded space uh, in the trading and development uh, space to to have our values heard and recognized. You know, everyone says, okay, we we do very hands-on trainings and it's uh, the new ways of managing that improve the quality of, if you take the words, a lot of people out of organization use the same, right? So we felt the need of having an external validation of that uh, in a way. And also because we, we saw that this kind of, uh, you know, impact, uh, recognizing the impact of a company would, would, would gain more weight in the, in the future. And it would become a factor that a company would take into account when choosing a provider, right? You take into account the quality, the price, but also the kind of company you, uh, you work with. So when we started out, it was, there were these two main reasons that are still, uh, still valid today. One is have an external recognition for the way we operate, for what we do. And I can get into the details of different, you know, layers and aspects, dimensions of, of the certification and also use it as a marketing tool if you want. But it's more, more than marketing. We thought that it would one day it might end up in, you know, procurement processes, for example, uh, when you mm-hmm. buy a, a service, you give, uh, a company takes into account different aspects, including the ethics and the impact of the company they work with. And B Corp, if we go to the, to the core of it, it's really a certification that recognizes companies that bring together profit. It's, it's, it's not a non-for-profit uh, label. It's companies that have profit and impact so that they can, you know, they can mix and balance the two. Best known company, maybe is Patagonia. You have a you have a few big brands that have this uh, uh, this certification. In France, it's around three hundred companies, and it, in the learning space, we are less than ten today to give you. So it's quite it's quite selective. Okay, thank you very much for that. The impact areas that you've mentioned for B Corps, the the areas that they look at is governance, workers or employees, customers, environment, and community. Right? If I'm if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Those those yeah. are the three areas that you. You get audited on. I'm surprised and not surprised at the same time that it's t- it takes two years of what, from what you mentioned, the, the entire process. I knew there's a lot of organizations who are trying to 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 get certified. I'm guessing, you know, what that what that means. What was it? What was it like from from your what your point of view? Is it like you know you get audited and say you're in in this area, you're good, you're you're halfway there, or you you're not good enough. You need to you need to improve. Call us back in a year once you've done done the work. Do they give you guidance? How does that work? Yeah, you have uh, uh, all the criteria are public, uh, so you can you know already do the work yourself and see where you are, uh, where you're complying with some of the requirements, and when you think you can do some uh, some improvement. So, for example, in terms of there are some very technical elements like how you deal with the privacy of the data that you collect and manage. That's something you can improve even before applying to um, applying to the certification because there are some strict rules that you have to follow and so it's really a matter of compliance with international standards for for a few of the topics but then the other ones are are quite broad <laughs> so if you look into governance it's the governance structure it's the transparency at large uh, that you have in your um, in your uh, in your company it's how you make your mission heard, how you protect and, and, and talk about your mission to your clients on your, on your uh, um, communication channels. Workers is the way you take into account the career of the people that work for you, how you take into account the well-being of people, 
their financial security and also their uh, their yeah the, the quality of life uh, inside the, inside the company. And then you have community, which is do you have any project where you give back to the community or uh, you have a foundation, uh, things like that. This is less relevant for for us. Uh, I'm not saying we couldn't do more, but uh, we are a relatively small company compared to Patagonia, for example, or some of the big names that are uh, Kickstarter um, compared to some big names that are you know uh, in the in the space. So it doesn't mean we are bad with it. It's re- less relevant for uh, for us for the kind of company that we are. And then you have environment and customers. And customers is all the customers' relationships and also the product you develop and you deliver is in customs. So that is what you do contributing to a positive impact on your clients. Okay, so what you sell, does it have an impact on uh, social, um, on some social issues, for example? And this is something where um, we gain more points through the process because when we started two years ago, we were really focused on management and leadership, quite operational topics, you know, effectiveness and the quality of collaboration, remote working. We started during COVID. So, you know, there was a lot of working about the, the way we work, how do we work together? And that can have a, that also can have an impact on the, on the company health, you know, how, how the company works and how the people feel, the kind of management they have. So that already gave us some points, if you want. But through the years, uh, we also developed on topic like uh, climate transition, personal development, developing female leaderships, uh, and more recently, more interpersonal, uh, interpersonal topics. So topics that are more directly related with what we call impact, which is a very broad <laughs> word anyway. Um, but yeah, when you work on, on, when you help company addressing their climate transition or developing inclusion, inclusive leadership, it's more related to you know impact as we as we know it in a more direct way than when you train them on uh, asynchronous communication or feedback, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Obviously, the the word impact is very broad at the same time, very vague. Uh, yeah, can can mean so many things to so many people. And as much as I'd love to get into all of them, and we might, <laughs> uh, the ones that really jump out at me uh, related to obviously what, what Numa does and that I'm particularly interested in, I think th- those are, uh, it's not about kind of scaling and how uh, pro- pro- um, assigning proportions, but I think kind of the, the workers element, the employees element and the customers element are very much representative of the, the in- inner workings of an organization yeah. and the, what, what the organiza- what, how is the organization perceived outside, obviously the community, environment, government, uh, all are important as well, but I'm particularly drawn to the to these elements. And you've already alluded to, to the fact that you started this process during COVID. Um, yeah, not not the greatest of times. That being said, we did all have a little bit more time because there was less things to do outside, so we were stuck at home. So I kind of didn't that. plan it would take it would it would take two years. <laughs> but oh, so you, you 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 didn't realize that that's how long the process is, uh, or. We, we thought it's a matter of, you know, like getting into the queue and then at some point it was going to be faster. Um, but one, once we got accepted in the process, um, it was a lot of exchange of documents and information. So it, it, it was still quite uh, labor intensive for, especially my colleague, uh, Anais, that was directly in charge of it, of collecting different information and actually directly exchanging with the, with the B Foundation, with the B Lab, sorry. It was, it was quite, uh, quite intense. But yeah, I right. mean, I, we were, I'm happy to know it's, it is, you know, because uh, being a, such a, um, what they, what they claim 
as the kind of companies that have the label, it's it's good that they are quite demanding in terms of uh, criteria, right? Yeah, again, which again, that kind of alludes to, to the point that I've made at the start, right? The, these days, the availability of certification for individuals and company companies is is vast. There's there's loads of certificates that you can you can get, right? Uh, and some of them are just as simple as taking a a, a, a three hour webinar and then answering some questions and then paying the license fee for for that uh, acronym, abbreviation, or title or whatever that you want to put to next next to your name, right? But you know. If it's hard to achieve something, it, get, it gets it's more valuable. It's it's it's, yeah. it's basics we're, we're talking about here. Um, so in a way, I'm glad. Please don't take this the wrong way. I'm glad it's taken you two years. Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. Because, I, I because really... it genuinely does that does show a little no. bit more about uh, a lot more about how how stringent this this is. And the part of around employees, the workers, and, and the customers uh, that I'm curious about. Um, I appreciate this might be sensitive information, so please feel free to answer however you feel uh, is appropriate. Um, where were you in terms of uh, the kind of the requirements for workers and for customers in terms of being able to uh, say kind of yeah we meet the criteria we're we're way below and we need we need to play catch up. It's very interesting because the most of what makes today uh, our working culture and for me working culture equal working practices so what are the you know what are the practices that that can be translated into a culture but you know it's really day-to-day how do we work together um, how do people manage their projects their colleagues their time a lot of it was modeled during covid and after covid <laughs> we became a remote first uh, organization so i think when we started we had some ideas and we were experimenting with this new way of working, but we weren't sure what we would, uh, we would, you know, would keep in the future, uh, what would become, uh, what would have become our actual way of working and, uh, and culture. So some elements were there. It was not formalized. We were living it day by day. And it was a very interesting moment. And it's still something very specific about what we do because we train people on management, collaboration, leadership. And for most of the topics, because I don't like to say all the topics because I never know what will come next, but we experiment also the practices that we, <laughs> that we deliver and we teach and we preach, if you want. That's by itself, I think it's a good, it's a good practice. You know, I, I wouldn't be comfortable with saying, oh yeah, you should be transparent and, and having a super you know, uh, obscure organization. But so we were experimenting them firsthand, but it wasn't formalized yet. So a lot of the things were still very new. And then through the process, it's also pushed us to be uh, to formalize a bit more our working practices, our rules for you know remote time management um, and things like that. The main elements that are today uh, part of our uh, working cultures, working culture, and that uh, have been recognized by the B Corp um, audit are. Some things that are more abstract, like employee engagement, uh, when you, you, know, you see the way you recruit people, how long people stay in the organization, they have some ways of monitoring, but it can be a, you know, a hard to measure um, area. And then things that are more concrete, how much time people spend on training, do we provide training? Being a training organization, we decided that uh, we would organize the same, same trainings that we deliver to clients for ourselves 
so people get high-level management and leadership training, even if when they manage one person, for example, when they manage clients, they don't have a big team. So that's in terms of you know investing in the career, uh, investing in the development of people. It's something really important for us and it was recognized. And then a lot of things are related to the fact that we are a remote-first organization. What do they call remote-first? We have an office in Paris, but we have a teams distributed across France. So uh, around 30 people that are um, part of Newman, and then we have a network of 50 trainers uh, that you are part of that are in France and internationally. So those are not uh, employees, a freelancer that we regularly work with. But talking about the employees, we have an office in Paris, people are distributed across France. Anyone can go there anytime. But we come together for two days every month. So, and that's, that will happen tomorrow, for example. Tomorrow and after tomorrow, everyone comes together and we do some collective activities. Uh, we spend an evening together and then the second day is more team-based. So the sales team, product team, et cetera, they organize their own time. And I'm very happy that these were recognized as something, you know, uh, valuable because it allows two things. The first thing is for people to live wherever they want. You know, there are some legal constraints that make it for now. It's, it, it should be friends most of the time, at least. Um, but, you know, you don't need to move to Paris in order to work at NUMA. So you can combine in a, in a more easy way your private life and your professional life. Remote first uh, also means that we are very flexible about the way everyone uh, manages his time. Uh, so we have a culture of asynchronous communication. So we try to reduce meetings and face-to-face -face meetings when they really matters. It doesn't mean we don't talk to each other, but it's not, you know, back-to-back -back meetings all day. And so it's easier to, to manage a workload when you can work with a synchronous communication, you know, written answers, recording videos, instead of being always caught up into, into meeting. And that is the second, uh, the second element. We self-validate our leaves, to, be, to give you an example, so you don't need to go through management to, you know, you just... And then that gives you also responsibility. You know, if you have a project, you want you won't disappear. You know, people never... And, and what we observe is that people don't disappear, uh, but they always check with their colleagues and management uh, if it's okay. But you don't need to go through the process of, you know, validating, et cetera, et cetera. To give you a very concrete example. And the last thing I think that for the workers uh, part that was valued is the, um, the level of transparency we have about, uh, about the business, you know, the, 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 the numbers, what is our business model, um, how we are performing. And that's not only limited to the sales team or the marketing team or, or the executive committee. Every time we meet every month, we do a business review. And every week we communicate about uh, the project we won, that we lost, if you are late on some you know, invoicing clients, these kind of things that give you, that makes you more aware of uh, you know, how is the company doing uh, even if you don't have a, a super direct impact on that. So engagement, how much we invest in you know, training people uh, and in their career, this remote-first culture that gives a lot of flexibility and autonomy to people, and then transparency in terms of how we do communicate you know, business information uh, uh, at large in the, in the company. Mm. Thank you very much. There was, um, um fantastically detailed insight and answer to, to how, how, how things are and how, how, how you work at NUMA. 
One thing that's on my mind is, uh, do you do any type of employee satisfaction surveys and the engagement surveys or tracking metrics and things like that around how satisfied, how happy, how engaged your employees, core employees at Numa are? Have you, have you got anything like that? And if so, what, what has happened in, since you've kind of gone on this journey two years ago uh, and becoming a B Corp, but also you know, moving on to becoming remote first? Yeah. We, we don't do it formally, like, you know, um, we don't have a service for doing internal, internal surveys because we are, we are around 30 people, right? So that's, we, we don't need a tool to mediate that kind of conversations, but the managers do. So apart from the, you know, annual review that everyone needs to do, feedback is really part of the, uh, of the culture. And for example, uh, the, the manager that manages our, our, um, customer success team. She does a monthly sort of uh, uh, review, not only on the performance, but okay, what do you want to progress on? Uh, what's next for the next, what's your ch- what's your, what are your challenges and what is this challenge that you want to tackle the next month? You know, so it's a very uh, month by month process as opposed to, okay, all good, see you next year. <laughs> so that's for me is the best way of doing it. And I'm seeing this also in our clients moving, you know, a lot of companies are, I'm moving from um, the annual or biannual review to to this sort of continuous development and conversations. It's still a formal moment because it's not like it's not every day or every week. You need you need a different moment from you know like operational feedback or one ones. So it might be once a month, but just taking a step back and reviewing your your progress, what we'd like to develop next, what are where are you struggling, and so this. This tightly knitted management relationship is the way is the way we do it, and then I think it's, it's a lot of smaller things like our remote rules uh, and and practices evolved as a collective effort. We reviewed them many times, and so we did specific surveys. The way we do surveys, for example, when when we do surveys is uh, we do surveys because we would like people to take the time to think and reflect and and write. You know. Writing is a really good process for getting your thoughts together and express what you actually feel. So it's a written first, and then we do a live, uh, for example, all ends meeting where we review the frequent questions, uh, we discuss it together, and then it becomes it becomes a company practice. So we do more small and very targeted service to give everyone uh, the time and the right to express what they what they want. And then it's more a collective discussion when we want to implement a new policy or, or practice. And what have you noticed? Is there any patterns have emerged? Is it, is it the same? Is it, is it better? Is it worse? Uh, what have you seen? Yeah, like, for example, there's um, um, the fact of still keeping an office and having this monthly uh, get-together is something that we were sure of at the beginning. Uh, say, okay, everyone is remote. It's great. But we saw that people need at least once every month to to see each other, to stay together, to also, you know, yeah, to also see that you are a company and not just <laughs> a network of isolated uh, isolated people and that goes through formal and informal moments. And that's something that we really, uh, really kept. Another thing is we have a lot of clients and I also understand that because we're talking about bigger companies, right? You have hundreds, thousands of employees. So you need to be a bit more precise and have rules. I got it. But for example, we decided not to have um, very strict rules for being online or offline. We have operation uh, 
time. So we operate between, you know, people are expected to be at to work uh, between nine and six, let's say. But then we're not available uh, because you need a focused time or because you need to deal with something from your private life. The only thing we ask you is to write it in your calendar. We have uh, transparent uh, calendars. I can, I can see what's in my uh, colleague's calendar. Just for me to be aware that you are unavailable at the time. So if I need something for you, uh, I ask it before or after. I just need, you know, I just need to know. And it's not only managers, so it, it's only colleagues. And so that's something that we decided to keep loose in a way. Instead of saying everyone should be connected at least, you know, 25 hours a week and come to the office every other Tuesday. It's anytime you want, do what you can to be there once a month. And then when you are not available, let us know, let other people know so we can regulate. And that's something that we, we weren't sure we would keep, you know, that open like that, but we matured. We were very open at the beginning, but you know, you're still, we were still like everyone a bit scared of, hmm, <laughs> will people be there if we don't see them? <laughs> you know, you still have this sort of, hmm, with working right now. So it takes time to, to see that, you know, it actually works. <laughs> so, yeah. Many, many, many managers, many business owners are, are kind of afraid of that. And then that, that element of trust. Uh, is one of the main blockers uh, within organizations for for many things, but one of one main being is uh, companies and people working remotely. Or if you if you communicate on some you know if you communicate on some business data, it will leak, and sometimes you have confidential information about you know we are stopping a product or we are having a hard time with that. So ah, you never know. People talk, all right? So. Yeah, I, I learned that the more you give people a clear view and the responsibility, and, and and yeah, and transparency, uh, it brings also responsibility on what you do with that information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as you were you were describing how things are in Numa, um, I was thinking actually, you know, we started talking about how it relates to you being a B Corp and things like that. But B Corp aside, those things that you're talking about, those are practices for any organization to. To potentially take on moving on to remote first and all the things that you're talking about uh, so they're not necessarily unique just to to b corp but i'm nonetheless still interested because i don't know whether you would have done them anyway regardless of your application you know if you didn't decide for example you know if you never heard of b corp would you still do that that's a hypothetical question maybe for for another discussion uh, but nonetheless what i'm trying to get at is the the impacts of these changes uh, and we'll come back to what, what B Corp means to you in a, in a, in a second. But the impacts of, chain, of the, these business changes have you done? Because they are, you, you've mentioned earlier on what culture means to you uh, and uh, that you, you really practice what you preach in, in your learning courses. You know, the impact of these changes, uh, moving to being remote first or making any other kind of culture-related change and the impact on your customers. And because ultimately, you know, I, one of the questions I often get asked in discussions I often get into is, I'm a workplace culture designer, which, you know, everybody wants to work on culture. But the one of the first questions are, that being, I'm being asked, is like, Lech, how does this connect to profitability? How does this connect to, to me as a business? Because ultimately, you know, businesses need money to thrive and sales need to be coming in. Uh, so great to become focusing on culture. In the long term, it benefits. That's obviously my opinion, which is might, might be somewhat biased. But in the short term, you know, it does require effort and it would require investment of time and resources and financial resources and so on and so forth. So that's my kind of uh, long-winded question is, what have you seen? The changes have you made? How has that impacted your custom base? 
uh, I don't want to get obviously into kind of profitability data here because that's not about it. But even have what feedback have you been receiving from your customers, not specifically to the way you work or your B Corp certification, but more on kind of how they perceive with you, how they enjoy working with you, and so on. Well, one interesting thing is that I, I think most of the the for this link that we have between the way we work and what we you know what we put in the workshops that we deliver, our clients also see us as kind of lab, a laboratory for new ways of working and new practices. It doesn't mean that everything we do at NUMA translates exactly into different kinds of organizations because you can't have exactly the same practices. But it's sort of a model or an example of how a company that has that is this open about the rules of uh, remote collaboration can still be performant and, you know, don't fall apart. And so it's reassuring on one way for them to see that it's it's feasible. And I think you can take Numa as, you know, in terms of size, as a small department of a big company. And so if you do it department by department, it's still it, it would still work. You know, I think most of the time people say, oh, but how we do this, how do we do this at the scale of two thousand people? But you never do things at the scale for two thousand people. Or you shouldn't do things at the scale of two thousand people. Maybe do it bubble by bubble or team by team or, uh, you know, make your groups. And then like any experiment, like any MVP, like anything you would do with the, you know, product innovation, scale it up little by little. So the positive thing that all our work on, uh, the way we work has brought to our clients is to be a sort of mirror after the practice that you also like to use on their teams. We are flexible. And so, for example... Uh, and this is recent, we are starting again to do on-site trainings mm-hmm. because we saw that uh, there is a demand for that, especially for teams that are co-located. You know, when you are managers all around the world, remote training is is great because you don't need people to travel. But sometimes we have teams that are in the same office. And so <laughs> if, when they follow our remote training, they need to go to different rooms. Um, so one recent change is the need for going back on site for some client meetings and for part of the trainings. That's something uh, that's something new and sort of maturity of hybrid organizations. But I feel that something that we all learned in the last three years is to really understand when meeting each other on site is really useful. And then you designed the meeting or the, the, the activity in a different way. And when it's not needed, and then you design the, the meeting or the activity in a different in a different way, and think that you had maybe pioneers at the at the beginning of being you know very good with it, but today I think it's something generalized, and um, most of the time we are really aligned with our clients on what should happen on site and what um, can happen online with the, sometimes in a better quality than the on site. Absolutely. I think a lot of organizations still need to rethink their hybrid approach and how they use the office. Because the, from what I'm seeing, it's uh, they just divide, okay, three three days from home, two days from the office. And that's where the kind of the policy, the practice stops, the indication of what people meant to be doing. And, you know, to make it effective, go beyond that. Say to your people, okay, that's what we'd like you to do. And next step for you as an individual, as a team is to decide what do you work on at home and what do you work on at the office, right? What do you use that time for? Focus time at home. Because, uh, you know, it, it, it does genuinely make me laugh when people go into the office and there are countless examples of that and they show me their calendar and they're in back-to-back meetings from nine to five 
which are all virtual. And I'm kind of going, well, what's, what's the point of you being in the office, all right? Yeah, yeah. and to be completely honest with you, there are sometimes that, you know, we talk about the younger generation uh, wanting to um, take remote jobs, and it, it depends. You know, we also, we also had different cases where people during the recruitment process or during the first weeks at NUMA, they didn't like the remote first organization, not, not the practices of, you know, communication stuff, but the fact of not sharing a, a social space. And especially think if it's your, one of your first jobs, you have this sort of, you would like it to be like your university, a continuation of a university time or, you know, where you have with friends doing things together in a space and then you go out for a beer and then, which is great. I mean, when I, when I got my first, uh, my first jobs, it, it, I, I loved that. And some people are more, okay, I have my friends. <laughs> so if I can stay in my, in my town and say, it's perfect, a remote is perfect for me. So you have, it, it's really a, a matter of personalities. And it, very, it very much is. The, I would add on to that, you know, the, whether it's an, an, a younger person, you know, the, the younger generations, or a person, just a new person joining the team. It's yeah, much easier and it, for a lot of people, it is far more comfortable to know that you literally have got somebody the desk next to you that you can ask a question. Whereas if you're sitting at home in front of your laptop and the onboarding has been crap, to put it that way, which in a lot of organizations still leaves a lot to be desired, and you don't know where to look because they, they just told you, this is your login, this is the SharePoint, this is Teams, have fun. Go nuts, and right? you don't want to dis- interrupt people or or uh, exactly start them showing that you are a bit lost. You know, it's yeah, you know. yeah. Because the SharePoint is good. You know, it's a company that's got uh, five hundred people, twenty five teams, and the different teams channels, different SharePoints. You don't know what what data is relevant, and you kind of you, you genuinely just feel lost. And that's the fault of a, of, a, of a poor onboarding system uh, program that you, you know, yeah. many organizations still struggle with and needs to be adapted. It's been in all organizations, onboarding programs have been just completely flat and useless, even when we're in the offices. They leave a lot to be desired, and I'm being polite here. And they've just been, you know, sort of translated very loosely onto a remote setup, which makes them even worse. So I, f- I fully get that at the start when you go onto a project, onto a new team or a new organization, it is very, very, very important to have that. But that, again, kind of goes beyond that. Uh, I'd like to pull us back to, to the B Corp question. What does that mean for you going forward? What's the kind of, what's, what's the vision? What are your plans? What is it going to look like in the next few months? What have you got coming up? What are you going to focus on? How does that going to impact uh, the business? Uh, yeah. Please pull at any of the threads that I've just given you. <laughs> uh, one of the things you asked me, what changed uh, since or what changed in your way of, uh, of operating and uh, of, uh, of doing what you do? still in the customer's part. And that's something that will, you know, I'm talking about this because it will take more space in the, in the future. It pushed us, and me particularly, you know, being chief product officer and, and having the roadmap of the new content that we developed, it pushed us to be, to cover topics that we didn't cover at the beginning that are less about the operational management and uh, objectives and performance and results that are, super important, of course, and to also address topics like being aware of the challenges of uh, climate transition for a company and what's your role as a leader and how can you move from 2050 perspective to a 2024 perspective. So how can you use a technique like OKRs that was developed for uh, you know innovation and, and business? How can you adapt that to your climate roadmap? So 
addressing topics that are more directly related with, okay, what's the impact we have on company? What, what do we train them to do? What do we train them to be as company? That's something that I'm not sure we would have done uh, as fast or as clearly without being involved in the, in the B Corp process. Another topic that is gaining, um, gaining speed is about training female leaders. I don't know how to translate it, but in France, there is, most of the problem I saw were about being a female leader, like be, bring your, uh, your feminine touch to leadership that I totally disagree with <laughs> because it's not a style, you know, there is not a male style of leader and a feminine style. You can, you can say that culturally there are some traits that we attribute more to males or females. That's a different discussion and it varies depending on the culture. So not talking about that, but how can we help that uh, the women of an organization that would like to have a, a leadership career have the right skills to do that and are aware of the specific challenges that they might meet on the road and prepare for that and tackle them through a, through a training. That's something that we started and is, uh, you know, it's like putting the best of what we learned in management training and leadership training in general to make it specific for cohort made of women willing to develop their leadership. And the last big area, and that's also on, uh, you know, uh, where my roadmap is, is going for the next month, is around more interpersonal collaboration topics and really the soft, we, we used to say that management is a soft skills, a soft skill. I, I'm not sure I agree uh, with the, all of it because it's, it's a lot of techniques and it's hard, <laughs> so it's not, it's not soft at all. I second that. <laughs> We, we, in my opinion, we've got the definitions backwards. Uh, for me, soft skills are hard skills because they are so damn difficult to learn. That's why I, I either flip them or talk about uh, the, the soft skills as human skills. That's kind of, I think that resonates a little bit more with me. But exactly, do, do yeah. continue. Well, to go in your direction. So the, 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 the area I'm, uh, I'm putting more effort into is the human, the real human interpersonal relationship managing across cultures, you know, how do you make sense of different or different cultures around the world? Also, be aware of the stereotypes, you know, that, that are not, uh, that are there, that you will have in your mind that you, uh, and, and then get more into how do we work together as opposed to, oh, because you are French or Italian, you will work this way. Or topics about uh, emotional intelligence. So it's gaining a different layer of complexity in, uh, and how you read uh, situations because sometimes no matter how your feedback is clear and precise and objective no matter how your your goals and objectives are you know a case study for okrs you could write a book about it it doesn't work it it it, it doesn't yeah. get through and so it means that there are some things that happen at different level more in the kind of relationship you have or more on you and other people having different needs and ways of, you know, dealing with situation and stress. Your stress factors are, are what excites me and, and the other way around. Yeah. And so this area is quite, um, it's quite, it's becoming quite important. There is a quote I, I heard from a manager that I love from a scale-up saying, I feel that we spend a lot of time coordinating, but not really collaborating with each other. Yeah. That, and that's, you know, true. for me, it resumes uh, a challenge that um, fast-growing or not fast-growing companies have today. You spend so much time in the processes and, you know, okay, we need, to, we need to design for scale. And so everything is written, everything is processed, which is great. But 
there are a lot of things that maybe you lose 20 minutes more, uh, but you, you, you earn mm-hmm. two weeks on your roadmap if you listen to people and if you, yeah. so that's the, my yeah. main focus for, uh, for the next, uh, for the next month, yeah. all this area. Is that short-term versus long-term yeah. kind of polarity that we, the, the dilemma that we often face. Um, you know that that roadmap that you described, the things that you're focusing on. I don't, I, I don't want to know the size <laughs> of the file that 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 roadmap stored in uh, because <laughs> it's it seems busy. It seems busy. I, I wish you the <laughs> best you. of luck, Claudio. But the tackling tackling that, uh, I'm sure you, you can smash it out of the park, put it uh, colloquially. Um, thank you very much for for taking the time and giving us a little glimpse into Bico. And as as I expected, we talked about many things, and I did mention that throughout the conversation that. You know, the things that you did, they're not specific to a B Corp. You, you can, organizations can do all of those, and I highly encourage them to do uh, those things regardless. Right? We only focused on uh, the, uh, the workers slash employees and then the customers part in the kind of related impacts of, um, of, of B Corps. But obviously, there's still governance and environment and community. Those are, you know, huge, huge pieces in themselves. But nonetheless, thank you very much, uh, Claudio, for, for your time. Thank you. Right, so... As I said, uh, a, a very nice insight into uh, a B Corp, but not specifically so. Not only that doesn't mean that you oh, you have to become a B Corp to do all of these things. Absolutely not. Some of the things that Claudio uh, did mention, they are impactful, uh, can be impactful in any organization. Any change of that sort uh, will be useful. And a lot of, you mentioned, you know, becoming remote first. Claudio mentioned a lot of small little changes, little practices that they've introduced within their organizations that made a big difference and there's something that i share with with my listeners with my with my followers every couple of weeks which are culture micro practices and they are exactly that those things that claudio has mentioned of what are the little small changes that you can introduce to change behaviors change processes change the ways of working within the organization and it doesn't matter whether it's uh, there's 30 of you or whether there's 300 of you if you are interested in in uh, receiving those do check them out at human human.pm forward slash CMP, CMP for culture micro practices. Thank you very much for tuning in. Until next time.